0: Right, good morning. It's good to see everyone here today. Good to see some visitors in the crowd today. We welcome you back uh, this evening. We have services at 6 p.m. We'd love to see you back this evening as well. Get our PowerPoint queued up real quick. Today we'll be studying Judas and the betrayal of Jesus Christ. This is not a specific story that we study very often. It's something that's often referenced, as Anthony did this morning during the Lord's Supper. It's not what, um, it's not what we would consider a feel-good story, although the outcome of that betrayal is exactly what we needed. It's what many will call the biggest betrayal of all time, and it's one of the saddest stories of the Bible, with then a wonderful outcome. It's still a sad story, especially considering the outcome of Judas. You may have it in your top three saddest stories between Jesus' death and, and possibly King Agrippa. Our Lord and Savior, our Messiah, was publicly betrayed and he was sent to his death. And as horrific as this story may be, it's important that we remember that this was part of God's plan. Judas's betrayal of Jesus Christ was prophesied, and, and Jesus knew, Jesus knew that he would be betrayed. And that will become evident in the scriptures that we study this morning. He knew it all along and he accepted it. Why did he accept it? Because that was part of God's plan. The prophecy that foretells this occurring is in Zechariah 11, verses 11 and 12. We'll read that. So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who was watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. The prophecy suggests that there would be a haggling in terms uh, in connection with this betrayal. It says, If it is agreeable to you, if you agree, then give me my wages. And if not, then don't. Matthew records Judas' words as follows in Matthew 26 and 15. What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out him 30 pieces of silver. I thought it was important to start with the prophecy to show that it was not an apostle that went rogue. It wasn't something that happens for the moment at the last minute. This wasn't a quick decision that altered the history of mankind because of some unprecedented choice. This betrayal, it was foretold. This betrayal was going to happen and further perfects the scripture and God's plan of salvation. Judas's betrayal of Jesus is contained throughout all four of the Gospels, And we'll study various scriptures from those books this morning, but we will primarily stay in the book of Matthew. We'll start reading in Matthew 26 and 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head, and he sat as he sat at the table. Here in the Seventh verse, Matthew refers to her as a woman, but we know from John's account that this was Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. So Mary has approached Jesus with this very expensive oil and began pouring it all over him and rubbing this oil into into him, in his hair. Verse 8 But when his disciples saw it, they were indigent, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now, what we also know from John's account is that this questioning, this questioning of using this ointment, it was started by Judas. Some of the other disciples, they might have joined into the discussion. Maybe they joined on the bandwagon once Judas brought it up. Like, hey, maybe he's up to something. Maybe, maybe we should. But we know that it was started by Judas. We get a clearer picture of how expensive this oil was in Mark 14 and 5. Which says, for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii. If you remember through various scriptures, a denarii was equal to a day's labor. You may remember the good Samaritan who left two denarii with the innkeeper whenever he left to to help care for those expenses of, of of that one who had fallen ill. So a denarii is about one day's wages during those times. You work for a day, you receive one denarii. If you work for five to six days a week, then you make five to six denarii. So when you read scriptures such as Mark 14 and 5, we learn that the oil could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. Start doing your simple math, and you figure out that that oil was worth a full year's wages. So compare that to your wages. And it doesn't matter how much you make, just consider your annual wages. You make 40000 a year, you make 60000 a year, whatever that is... So you have this oil that is worth a full year of your wages, your annual income. Would you pour that on Jesus? Would you consider it wasteful? Would you pour it and rub it into his hair and rub it on his arms and rub it on his feet? Do you see the comparison? At least between Mary and Judas, Mary didn't see the cost. She poured out the oil. She used the oil. She rubbed down Jesus with no concern about the cost of the oil. And so the scriptures make it very, very clear. When we look at the difference in personalities between Mary and Judas, look at the difference of their hearts. Mary was willing to give abundantly with no concern of this material cost. But Judas, he despised the wastefulness of the oil that was rubbed on Jesus that day. And the reason for pointing out Judas here will become more clear as we continue to study this morning. Just remember, Judas found the use of the expensive ointment a waste. It was too expensive to be used in the manner that he was witnessing. Then Jesus responds in verse 10. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor and you will and you always. But me you do not have always. For in pouring the fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Jesus knew that he would soon die. And without the embalming process that we have today, the human body is going to start smelling rather quickly. So covering the body in a fragrance was a Jewish ritual that, um, that also helped to cover up the smell of a decomposing body. And that was a common practice in that day. Again, the disciples, they did not know what Jesus knew. So Jesus tells the disciples, leave this woman alone for she is doing a good deed. And verse 12, uh, verse 12 says, she did it for my burial." Verse 13, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will always be told as a memorial to her. What are we doing right now? We're talking about her. I think this is comical. As Jesus says, leave this woman alone. She is doing a good deed for me, and we will talk about this for the history of time. What this woman has done will always be remembered, and here we are, 2,000 plus years later, and just as Jesus said, we are recognizing Mary's actions. We're recognizing her good deed. We're studying Mary and comparing her to to Judas as we study and we learn from these holy scriptures. We're doing exactly what Jesus said we were going to do. Verse 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. As we continue to read through these scriptures, we see a little bit more about Judas's character. We see a little bit more about his love for money. He complains about the expensive ointment, and then he turns right around. He immediately, after after Jesus rebukes him for, for how he treated Mary, he begins plotting on how to betray Jesus for a mere 30 pieces of silver. And we'll touch on this flaw a little bit later this morning. But this is a big contributing factor to why Judas betrayed Jesus, his love for money. And we'll see that a little bit more. Verse 16 says, So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. There is a connection with Judas seeking an opportunity um, at the very beginning of this chapter uh, that we didn't cover at the beginning. In verse 3, we learn that the chief priests were plotting. They were plotting on how they were going to get to Jesus. And we know by these few verses that they wanted to do so By trickery, as the fourth verse says. Other translations say that they wanted to be stealth in how they captured and arrested Jesus. Judas knew this. So at the beginning of the chapter, it says the chief priests, they didn't want to cause this big uproar among the people. They wanted to be as quiet as possible. They did not want this large fight on their hands. They wanted to arrest Jesus quietly using trickery. And then verse 16 says, Judas began looking ...for that opportunity. So Judas and the chief priests ...they're working together. Judas knows that the, what, exactly what the chief priests want. He knows. And he's thinking just like them. And he's trying to keep everything real low-key... ...not to give away his betrayal to Jesus... ...and the disciples... ...while he's also plotting behind the scenes... ...on how he's going to fulfill this act. He knew that he needed to keep it quiet... He didn't want Jesus to know. He wanted to be as quiet as possible. He didn't want to point, he didn't want to point out Jesus in a real obvious manner. And he could have. He could have said, here he is. That's the guy. Come get him. But he didn't do that. He wanted to use trickery. Picking up in the 17th verse. We see how Jesus and the disciples are preparing to celebrate the Passover. Now, on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city of a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now, as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So Jesus drops this bombshell right here. One of you is going to betray me. So look at how the apostles respond. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say, Lord, is it I? So as the the apostles, they gathered with Jesus to eat, Uh, He informs them that one of them, he knows that one of them is going to betray him. You know, I think this was a big shock and awe moment for everyone uh, sitting around this table except for Jesus. And that's important to note because the scriptures didn't say that that Jesus lashed out at them. It didn't say that he was disgusted by their actions. It didn't say that he was sorely disappointed and he was going to get his revenge. Scriptures don't say that. He knew what was going to happen. And although Judas had already set in motion his betrayal uh, by going to speak with the chief priest and, and laying out his plan, he had no idea. Judas had no idea that Jesus knew that he was going to betray him. Judas didn't know so as they sat at the table, all the apostles, they were surprised and they were confused on what they were hearing. They were in shock. You know when someone tells you something that sounds a little strange and you are completely thrown off guard, our normal reply to that is, are you kidding me? Are you, are you being serious? Did that happen? Did that really happen? And sometimes we follow that up with, did that really happen? Because right now I'm really confused and I I don't really get it. I think the apostles are in that stage right now. They're shocked that Jesus is telling them that someone's going to betray him and to top it off, that person is right here with us. Bombshell. And so naturally, they want to know who it is. And fear came upon them as Jesus obviously knew something that they didn't, and they're just hoping it wasn't going to be them. At work, as we enter the summer schedule, my company hires a lot of interns. So we have a lot of of young college students, a lot of interns that come to work for us, and they work in all these different companies and all these different departments uh, for us. And um, I hire a summer intern that works in my department, and then I work with um, all of the accounting interns within our different companies. So our interns started a few weeks ago, and during their onboarding, during the process of getting them hired, we push out all this training to them. And one of the things that we push out to them is called cybersecurity training. Uh, If you've listened to the news recently, you will definitely know that cybersecurity has become a very big deal And it has for several years, and now it's became one of the top risks of any organization. So we push out this cybersecurity training, and this training is really important. The problem is is that these interns, they don't realize how important this training is. And so I pulled my intern aside, and I said, look, this is a really big deal. I need you to focus on this, and I need you to get it right, and I need you to understand it. And if there's anything you don't get, then we need to talk one-on-one about this. So last week I get a phone call and I'm told that an intern has done something inappropriate as it relates to cybersecurity. My head fell on my table and I said, please don't let it have been my intern. <laughs> I think that's the type of response that the apostles are having here. And it wasn't my intern, by the way. But this is the type of response that I think the apostles were having. They know Jesus is all-knowing and that they were uh, just delivered news that they didn't expect to hear. And I can see them hanging their head, shaking their heads and saying, I hope the betrayer is not me. I hope the betrayer is not me. And we know they looked at Jesus and said, is it me? Is it me? Then verse 23. This is Jesus talking. He answered and said, "He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me." Jesus is saying the betrayer is right here with us. It's not someone that we don't know. It's not a stranger. It's not going to be someone out on the streets. It's actually someone who who we, who I have an intimate relationship with. Someone that we're all very close to. Verse 24. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. Talking about how he's going to die. Jesus say, saying, my departure from this world, my death has been prophesied as it is written. Then he picks up. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Jesus says, you all know how I'm going to die. You have been taught that but for my betrayer, Jesus says, that is going to be bad. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born than to betray the Son of Man. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. And then we have confirmation in the 25th verse as to who the betrayer is going to be. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. Judas asked a question Is it I? With a question mark. And Jesus replies to Judas like he had just made a statement. Jesus confirms to Judas that I know that you are going to betray me. Matthew doesn't give us all the details of the Last Supper and what had happened in that room. But we can learn some of the other activities from the other gospel accounts. For example, after Jesus and the disciples had had eaten, Jesus got up from the table and he laid aside his garments. And he took a towel and he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. So this activity occurred after dinner, but before Jesus identified Judas as the betrayer. So Judas was there at this time. This is very interesting. So Judas is there. Jesus knows Judas is going to betray him. And Jesus continues to kneel in front of of Judas and wash his feet. At this point, Judas has met with the Jewish leaders to arrange a plot to betray Jesus. Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. And he still kneeled down and he washed his feet. I think this is a powerful message that we can learn from today. If we are betrayed... We are betrayed. If you have wronged me, that's a different story. Right? Is that the attitude that we take sometimes? If we're betrayed or we even feel betrayed, we won't even talk to that person for days, for weeks, months? Has it been a year? Some of us have lost friendships because we have felt betrayed. Some of you can think of someone right now. Some of you are thinking of someone that you have not spoken to in over a year because of a situation where you felt like you were stabbed in the back. But Jesus, he continues to wash Judas' feet. Think about the next time that you've been wronged by someone. How should we act? We learn in John's account that after Jesus had identified Judas as the betrayer, um, after uh, that has been identified, that Judas leaves. So it's now nighttime, and Judas, um, he knows that Jesus knows what is uh, going on and what's going to happen. As we continue in Matthew 26, Jesus institutes um, so after Judas left, he now, they're now going to have the, the Lord's Supper. He institutes the Lord's Supper in the same manner, the exact same manner that we did this morning. You wonder why we do this? We do this for a reason. Jesus then tells Peter that he will deny him three times before the rooster crows. We're familiar with this story. Peter says, I would never deny you, Christ. Um, but, of course, he denies him three times just as Jesus said he would. Then Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He's there with the disciples, and he tells them uh, to stay here while he goes to pray. And Jesus and three others, they went, and they began praying. They began praying a lot. The scriptures say that Jesus became sorrowful, and he was deeply sorrowful, deeply distressed. Jesus knows, Jesus knows that he's about to die. He knows that he's going to leave behind all these friends that he's made. All these friends and all these followers that um, had been faithful to him and, and helped his ministry. All those friends and supporters, everyone in all those relationships, all those that he loved dearly. And then Jesus says in verse 38, Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me." He went a little further, he went a little farther and fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knew he would soon be captured and put to death. He knew that he would be sacrificed for all of man's sin. And as we look at verse 39, Jesus is praying to God and he says, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. We'll pause on this scripture and we'll revisit it in a few minutes. So during these deep prayers and these difficult times, Jesus looks over and he sees the disciples sleeping and he begins begins speaking to them. And we'll pick up in the 47th verse. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, they came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign. Remember the plot? Remember the plot we we talked about earlier? He gave them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and he said, greetings, Rabbi. And kissed him. And with that single kiss, Judas betrayed Jesus. We read a little bit more about, about these events and what led up to them in Luke 22, starting in the third verse. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains uh, how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money so he promised and sought opportunity, looking for that opportunity, to betray him to to them in the absence of the multitude. Remember, don't want everyone to get all upset. We're going to do this as low key as possible. It's exactly what the plan was. So we see that Satan, as we started in the third verse, we see that Satan had entered into Judas before Judas went to see the chief priest and he set up. Uh, this plan to betray Jesus. Satan possessed Judas in hopes of using him to destroy Jesus' ministry. Wanted to get him out of the way. You know, I find it interesting. I find it interesting that Judas chose a kiss as the signal to betray Jesus. A kiss is often used to show affection. We kiss those that we love. Do you kiss your kids before they go to bed? You do. We kiss those we love. We kiss when we're happy, when we're greeting one another, sometimes uh, when we're overcome with sorrow. We lean down and we kiss a loved one's forehead in the hospital room. But a kiss, in, in all the ways that we use it, a kiss is our sign of affection. I have never looked at someone that I'm having a disagreement with or someone that betrayed me, or someone that I was upset with, and I've thought, I really need to kiss you, man. Judas used his kiss to unleash a surge of hatred. Once Judas kissed Jesus, the deed was done. Jesus was betrayed into the government's hands. At the beginning of of Matthew 27 we see how Jesus was handed over to Pontius Pilate and the instant remorse that Judas had. We'll pick up in the first verse of the 27th chapter. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put in the death, and when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful, remorseful not repentful, remorseful, and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. For 30 pieces of silver... Judas betrayed Jesus. The scripture tells us that he went away and hanged himself. It is the final act of a man who could not live with himself in the memory of what he had done, so he took his own life. And the ultimate irony of this tragic day is that Judas died before Jesus did. I find Judas's betrayal remarkable. It's fascinating. If we go back to the beginning, we find a remarkable series of facts about Judas. Judas was personally chosen to be an apostle by Jesus Christ. Judas gave up everything to follow Jesus just as the other apostles did. He spent significant time traveling with Jesus. He saw miracles that Jesus had performed. He saw them in person. He was an apostle. He was present for many of these miracles. He witnessed them himself. He was present to hear and learn from Jesus as multitudes continued to follow Jesus. Or or they would come and they would want to hear Jesus uh, preach. Judas was there. That was his everyday life. He traveled and he ate and he lived and he taught with Jesus Christ. He watched Jesus heal the sick and raise the dead. He witnessed these miracles. Everything that you can say about James and Peter and John, you can say about Judas. Everywhere that they went, Judas also went. He was right there beside Jesus. He heard it all. He saw it all. He experienced it all. But Judas had a flaw. And Jesus knew of this flaw. The scriptures tell us that Judas was in charge of the apostles' money. They also tell us that he was a thief, and he would help himself to the money that he kept for the apostles' expenses. We read of this in John 12, starting in the first verse. Um, and starting here, you're going to recognize several of these first verses, they mirror the way we started this morning in Matthew. Matthew. So you're going to notice a, a very strong correlation, and then we're going to get um, a little bit more information at the end of this reading in John 12. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary, we talked about Mary, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet and his hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas, Simon's son, was who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So we've read all that. Here we come. This he said... Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. This is a clear declaration of the character of Jesus. He was a thief. He desired money. And what did Judas receive for betraying Jesus? Money. Jesus knew that Judas had a flaw. Jesus knew the Old Testament and the prophecies that came before him. Remember the prophecy uh, in Zechariah that we started with this morning? Then I said to them, "If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, if not refrain." So they weighed out, the, the, weighed out for my wages thirty pieces of silver. Jesus chose Judas to be an apostle for, to be an apostle for a very specific reason. The Old Testament scriptures prophesied that that this would take place. So Jesus chose Judas to fulfill the scriptures. In John 13 and 18, Jesus says to his apostles, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. And then in the 19th verse, Jesus quotes Psalms 41 and 9. Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Peter also spoke of this and um, spoke of Judas in Acts 1 and 16, saying, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So again, I find Judas' betrayal of Jesus Christ absolutely remarkable. From the Old Testament prophecies to the thief being put in, in charge of the apostles' money. To the act of betrayal being performed by the man who was flawed because of his love for money. Step by step, step by step, Jesus moved towards the cross and he was always in control. A question that is often brought up surrounding the betrayal of Jesus is, was Judas saved? There's a few verses that gives us insight into what happened to Judas and whether he was saved and went to heaven or if he was sent to hell. It's important that we revisit what Jesus said, um, what he said about his betrayer. Matthew 26 and 24, and this is Jesus talking, The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. Again, talking about prophecy and how Jesus was going to be put to death. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. This is what Jesus said. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Just to be clear, this is not a positive statement. Think about the thief on the cross, and let's compare what Jesus said to the thief. To what Jesus, uh, we'll compare what Jesus said to the thief. Uh, let's compare that to what he said to Judas. Luke 23, starting in verse 42, Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today that you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is very clear here. Concerning the sinner that Jesus is hanging next to on the cross, Jesus says, Today you will be with me in, in paradise. Very clear But his words towards Judas, it would have been good for that man if he had not been born. That is not a statement I would expect Jesus to say if Judas was going to live eternally in heaven. Another scripture for us to consider um, is in Acts 1. The apostles are meeting uh, to choose a replacement for Judas. So they're, they're meeting to choose a replacement, and they have these two men... Uh, that they thought were worthy of, re- of replacing Judas and becoming an apostle, and they're having a hard time choosing which one of these men. So they prayed. And this is what Peter says in Acts 1 uh, 24 and 25. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. You read in other translations, and it says that Judas left to go where he belongs. Now, I believe it's clear that Judas is in hell. If that seems harsh, then consider the words of Jesus in John 6 and 70, when he said, Jesus answered them, Do I not choose you, the twelve, and the one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who betrayed him, being one of the twelve. Jesus makes it clear that Judas had been influenced by the devil. We read of other scriptures this morning that talked about Judas being influenced by Satan. He was influenced by Satan. He sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. He acted on that opportunity and betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And then Judas became scared. The scripture says that he was remorseful. He wasn't repentful. There is no scripture that talks about Judas repenting. It says that he was remorseful. He threw the money back at the chief priest, and then he went and he hanged himself. Judas committed suicide. He was a hopeless man, and suicide does not represent the hope that you and I have through Jesus Christ. We read in 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow or godly grief produces repentance leading to salvation. So when we repent of our sins, there is no regret. Because you know, because we know that we have been forgiven of those sins. But when we are burdened with worldly sorrow, what does it produce? 2 Corinthians says it produces death. Was Was Judas saddened by what he did? Sure he was. Was he burdened by what he did? Yes, we see the result of that by him hanging himself. But we know that he was not repentful because godly sorrow leads to salvation. That burden would have been lifted from Judas. But Judas was indeed sorrowful so much that he felt that he had no hope, which led him to take his own life. Brothers and sisters, suicide is never the answer. Unfortunately, suicide has become more and more popular, um, especially popular to talk about. I know that uh, educators that are in the room today, I know that they are dealing with kids that talk about suicide way too much. They're talking, uh, there's way too many people that, that say that I'm sad and I'm depressed and no one likes me, so I should just kill myself. The world would be a better place if I wasn't here. If you said or thought things like that, then you're wrong. Because there is hope in Jesus Christ. Worldly grief leads to death. Godly grief leads to our repentance. It leads us to the cross. It leads us to salvation. Judas felt hopeless in the burdens of the world. They led him to take his own life. Judas was not filled with the hope that we find through Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we have with Jesus. We have hope. We have a perfect love. A perfect hope through his perfect love. The story of Judas reminds us that nothing good can come from giving up on Jesus. And it's sad that Judas didn't recognize that. All the time he had spent with Jesus. And it's sad he didn't recognize that. In verse 39, Jesus prayed. He fell on his face. So I told you we'd get back to verse 39. So in verse 39, he fell on his face and he prayed. We'll revisit this. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless... Not as I will, but as you will. He says, God, Jesus says, God, if there is another way, if there is another way, then let's make that happen. But we all know that there is no other way to God or to heaven but through Jesus Christ. In verse 39, we look at the key words. It says, if it, he said, if it, Keyword, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus prayed to God and said, If there is another way, then let's take that way. Let's do the other thing. Let's do plan B. But if there's not a plan B, then it's not as I will, but it's your will that I will carry out. Did God answer his prayer? God did not. There was silence. And through that silence, God is telling Jesus that there is no other way. And Jesus knows this, and he says, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you, but as your will says. In John 14 and 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Whenever you hear others say that there are many, many ways to get to heaven, multiple paths to heaven, when you hear comments like that, they don't understand the story of Jesus' death. Jesus, the Son of God, he cried out and said, If there's another way, if there's another way, then I pray that you do that. But there is no other way but through Jesus and his death. If there had been another way that God would have answered that prayer, there had been, uh, but there was not another way, so Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. And so Jesus died for me, and he died for you. You see, Jesus has provided an outlet for our sins. And that outlet, that remission of sins, that cleansing of our sins that we obtain through baptism is how we gain that hope. And one of the biggest lessons, if we don't want to end up like Judas, is that we have to give everything to uh, to Jesus. Remember, Judas, there was one thing he wouldn't give up. He wouldn't give up that money. Matthew 22 and 36 says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law, Jesus said to them, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Judas did not love the Lord with all of his heart. He loved money, and he allowed that to stand between him and Jesus. When you give Jesus a little, but not everything Then we find ourselves, then we start finding ourselves giving a little less, and a little less, and a little less. Judas had reached a place where he said, I'm okay with giving God something, but I'm not going to give him completely everything. In other words, it's partial commitment. He refused to change. Let me tell you where joy is in our Christian walk. It's when you surrender everything. When you say, Lord, if I've got it, then you can have it. You can have my relationships. You can have my future. You can have my mind. You can have my body. You can have everything that I am. I surrender everything to you. Take control. Judas never surrendered at all to Jesus. Judas teaches us a powerful lesson throughout his betrayal of Jesus Christ. We need to figure out what our 30 pieces of silver is. Whatever the issue is, whatever the sin is, whatever the temptation is, we need to figure out what is separating us from Jesus Christ. What is your 30 pieces of silver? You know that thing that tempts you and distracts you from your walk with Jesus. You know what that is. That thing that keeps you from completely surrendering to Jesus. I encourage you to address that issue. Don't be a Judas. Don't let that thing separate you from your hope of salvation. Don't let your 30 pieces of silver stand between you and God. I appreciate your attention this morning. I've enjoyed studying Judas and this betrayal. I learned some things. I, I hope I was able to uh, communicate those with you this morning. It's important that we study men and women of the Bible that had messed up. It's important that we learned what caused them to pull away from Jesus and use those examples to assist us in our Christian walk. If you haven't been baptized, then we encourage you to take that step this morning. Maybe you're struggling with some of the things that Jew has struggled with. Maybe there are life issues uh, that you and your family that you're struggling with. If you'd like the prayers of the church, if you'd like to be baptized, uh, we'll invite one of either class. You can come forward and sit on the front row as we stand and sing.